This recording is a ministry of Grace Bible Church of Pleasant Hill, California. We want to thank you for listening and invite you to visit us each Lord's Day on our campus located at 40 Cleveland Road, Pleasant Hill, California, or at any time at gbcph.org. Well, what are some ways that people measure success? There are a lot of ways, aren't there? Some might measure success by material goods, right? Riches. It's like that old adage, the the person that dies with the most toys wins, right? You can measure it by power or status, how high I've climbed that corporate ladder, that position of most influence. Maybe the world measures success by pleasure. Have I experienced the most pleasure that I can? See, my life is successful if I experience the most enjoyment and the most perceived happiness in any given moment of life. And that is what a successful life is. Well, let me ask you, how might we judge the success of someone who is imprisoned, abandoned and alone, and condemned to die? (laughs) I think the world will look at a person like that and say, that is not a success. That sounds like a huge failure to me. And maybe to some of us, we might think the same. But that's the exact state that we find Paul in the setting of the book of 2 Timothy. Paul is in prison. Paul is abandoned and alone, and he is condemned to die. Yet, what does he say about his life? He proclaims that it has been completely successful. Amazing. If you look at the end of the book, in chapter 4, this is what Paul says as he looks at his life. He says, verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith in the future. There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That does not sound like failure to me. How is it that a man imprisoned, abandoned, and condemned could say such a thing about himself? How could someone in a state as his judge his life as a a success? Well, it's because Paul knew what truly mattered. He had spent his life pursuing what mattered. So much that he could say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. You know, as Christians, what Paul achieved is the greatest thing that we could ever hope to achieve. The greatest measure of success for us as believers is that at the end of our life, we can honestly say, I have fought the good fight of faith. And this is what this book is about. It's a book that points us to that which is most important and reminds us to focus our lives on it so we might fight the good fight of faith. And in this age of a global pandemic, an age of unceasing distractions, isn't this exactly what our soul needs right now? One pastor said this as he spoke on 2 Timothy 
It says, 2 Timothy is Paul's last words from a cold, lonely Roman prison. The aged apostle Paul wrote his final instructions to his protege, Timothy. Paul knew that this letter might well be his final contact with Timothy. His execution was most likely imminent. He implored Timothy to come quickly to his side, but in case he did not make it, Paul imparted his last words of encouragement to his son in the faith. And this is what this book is about. These are dying words of a spiritual father to a spiritual son. And you know, we don't waste dying words, do we? When it comes to dying words, this is when we must perk up in here. This is when the things that most matter are spoken. So what's this book about? The dying words of a faithful saint exhorting Timothy and us to do the same. This is a book that teaches us how to fight the good fight of faith. And that's the title for this series for this next four weeks. And in those weeks, we're going to see in 2 Timothy how to fight that good fight of faith. We're going to see we fight the good fight of faith by treasuring the word, by persevering in the ministry of the word, protecting the word, and proclaiming the word. Now in chapter 1, which is what we're going to look at this morning, Paul introduces these themes that he's going to be expanding on in the rest of the letter while focusing on the gospel as this treasure that we've been entrusted, that we must be willing to keep, be willing to protect, and be willing to suffer for. So the title of this morning's message is Fight the Good good Fight of Faith by Treasuring the Word. And we're going to seek to answer just two questions. Why ought you to treasure the word? And how ought you to treasure the word? Let's read our text in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity." but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me and the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. So our first question this morning, why ought you to treasure the word? 
Well, first, we should treasure it because of what it is. He says there at the end of this passage, verse 14, he says, guard the, through the Holy Spirit who dwells in you the treasure which has been entrusted to you. There's the description of the word. This is treasure. It's the good and precious deposit. It's the good thing entrusted to you. Now, Paul expands on the preciousness of the word later in 2 Timothy 3, 16, and he describes the scripture as being the God-breathed word. God's word is a treasure because it originates from him. It's God's own special self-revelation to mankind that contains all things necessary for life and godliness. Psalm 19 summarizes the preciousness of the word to us. It says, God's word is perfect, it's sure, it makes wise, it's right, it's pure, it's clean, it's enduring forever, it's true, and it's righteous altogether. And you know, in verse 10 of Psalm 19, the psalmist says this, they are more desirable than gold. Yes, much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. This is what the word is. This is God's self-revelation. He has made himself known to us. There is no other writing that has shown who God is but his word. And it's sweet, saint, isn't it? It's a treasure, isn't it? One commentator says, it is a treasure, a rich one. It contains the riches of grace, even the unsearchable riches of Christ. It is more valuable than thousands of gold and silver. You see, we treasure the word because of what it is. It's God's self-revelation that's more valuable than all things. But we also treasure the word because of what it accomplishes. What it accomplishes. God grants saving faith through the word. And we see that in verse 5, back in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 5, Paul writes, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that's in you as well. Now, if you remember about Timothy in Acts 16, Timothy was described as a son of a Jewish woman and a Gentile father. He was Greek. His father was most likely an unbelieving Gentile. So Timothy grew up eventually coming to faith through the faithful teaching of the scripture from his mother and his grandmother. Paul then writes this later about about Timothy's upbringing. He says in chapter 3, verse 14, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You see, it was the faithful childhood teaching of Timothy's mom and the faithful teaching of his grandmother that Timothy became this man of faith, this godly man that he became. And I love how scripture includes this for us. Because it's encouraging. It gives hope to children uh, with only one believing parent. Moms, grandmas, keep doing it. Keep raising your children up in the Lord. You don't know if you might be raising the next Timothy. 
Keep at it. And this is what makes God's truth so precious. It is the only means that is able to give wisdom that leads to salvation through faith. There is no other text that does that. It is the only means given to bring a sinner to saving faith. There is no other writing, no other truth is able to do what God's word can do. And Paul says the word did its work in Timothy's life. He came to saving faith. Oh, it's precious. Isn't the word precious to you? Isn't that the same word that brought you to the Savior? Now, Paul describes further what God accomplishes through his word. Look at verse 8 through 10. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This is what the gospel does. Paul says it's through the gospel that God's grace has been revealed in Jesus Christ. The gospel tells us what Christ has accomplished by his appearing. Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light. Now think about those words for a moment. Jesus abolished death and brought immortality to light. Isn't this exactly what the world looks for? What does the world fear more than death? And what do they want more than immortality? And this word says that Jesus gives this as he is revealed through his gospel. These are accomplished in Christ who is revealed through the gospel. The gospel reveals Christ to us. And it's Christ who removed the sting of death. And he's the one who's made eternal life available to all who believe all through his substitutionary death and through his resurrection. And this is why God's word is a treasure, isn't it? This is what makes the word a treasure. This is the word that reveals our lovely one. This is the word that reveals Jesus. It is a word that leads us to faith in Christ. It's a word that builds us up in our life in Christ. And it is through the word that death is abolished and immortality is brought to light all in Christ. That's why the word is a treasure. God's word is a treasure because there's no book like it. No other book tells us truthfully of our origins, that we're created in the image of God so that we could live for his glory. No other book will tell us honestly of our sinful state before God and our inability to deliver ourselves. No other book is going to tell us of the one gracious means God provided for our salvation in giving his own son to the world. No other book will tell us of the perfect life of obedience our Savior lived for our sake and the death on the cross he bore for sinners. 
No other book is going to tell us of Jesus' resurrection on the third, third day to verify who he was and that his payment for sin was truly accomplished. No other book will invite the sinner to receive full forgiveness and eternal life by faith in Jesus Christ alone. No other book does that. Indeed, God's word is a treasure. It is a treasure. So the question for you is, is the word a treasure to me? Is it a treasure to me? Do you cherish it as that only means which gives wisdom to eternal life? Do you cherish it as the means that you can see Christ, believe Christ, receive Christ, grow in Christ? You know, when you say that you treasure the word, you know what you're really saying is you treasure Christ. That's what you're saying. To treasure the word is to treasure Christ. J.C. Ryle in How Readest Thou says this about the treasure of the scripture. He says, the Bible can show a believer how to walk in this world so as to please God. It can teach him how to glorify Christ in all the relations of life and can make him a good master, servant, subject, husband, father, or son. It can enable him to bear afflictions and privations without murmuring and say, it is well. It can enable him to look down into the grave and say, I fear no evil. It can enable him to think on judgment and eternity and not feel afraid. It can enable him to bear persecution without flinching and to give up liberty and life rather than deny Christ's truth. Is he drowsy in soul? It can awaken him. Is he mourning? It can comfort him. Is he erring? It can restore him. Is he weak? It can make him strong. Is he in company? It can keep him from evil. Is he alone? It can talk with him. All this the Bible can do for all believers, for the least as well to the greatest, for the riches as well the poorest. It has done so for thousands already and is doing it for thousands every day. Amen? Oh, what a treasure the word is oh what a treasure his gospel is dear saint do you treasure his word do you treasure his word now if you're convinced that the word is a treasure then this directly leads to our second point then how ought you to treasure the word how ought you to treasure it god gives us four ways in this text we treasure the word And each of these four commands, this is what I love. In each of those four commands, he gives also a word of grace to us in those commands. A word of grace. A provision of his grace to accomplish each one. Well, the first thing, you ought to treasure the word by kindling afresh the gift of God. If you treasure the word, you're going to kindle afresh the gift of God. Verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of discipline. Now, what's this gift of God Paul is talking about here? Well, for Paul, he's talking about his calling as a gospel worker. He's a preacher. He's a pastor. In verse 11, Paul writes about his own calling. He says, it is for the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. 
And as he writes to Timothy, this was Timothy's calling as well. Paul was telling Timothy to kindle afresh his gift as a preacher of his gospel. Now, what's it mean to kindle afresh? It's to cause something to begin to be active again. The picture is of a flame that's gone down to just lowly embers. To kindle afresh means to fan it into full flame. It's to stir up the fire. It's to add fresh fuel so that it burns full again. And Paul's saying, that's what you do, Timothy. Fan that gift into flame to the glory of God. Paul tells Timothy, fan aflame his commitment and his resolve to proclaim the gospel. Now, why should Timothy rekindle the gift of God? Verse 7 gives us the reason. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. You see, God has not made his people for their flame for him to burn low. God has not given a spirit of cowardice. He's given us a spirit of power, of love, of discipline. And here it is. Here is how God gives grace in that command. He commands to fan aflame the gift. And here's the grace. He gives the spirit of power, love, and discipline. Now, why these three? Well, God gives power so that the exercise of our gift will be effective. He gives love so that he will sustain our desire and affection for him as we exercise our gift. And God provides discipline so that we will endure to the end as we exercise our gift. God provides what we need to fan a flame and live out what he has given us. Now, some might say that these words are solely to Timothy as a preacher. Okay, so this doesn't, this doesn't apply to me. This is a pastor to another pastor, so uh, this doesn't apply to me. Now, while it's true this has special and specific application to Timothy, God has intended them to also have application to his people for all time. So even if you might, might not be a full-time pastor, maybe you're not a, a preacher, you and I are still to call to a word ministry, aren't we? Each of us are called to make disciples. Each of us are called to be evangelists. Each of us are called to be involved in helping the body grow through our gifts. Each of us are called to instruct, to encourage, to comfort, to admonish, all with the word. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you are called to a word ministry. You are called to be a gospel minister. You can't escape this. And we are also called not to shy away from what God has called us to do, but fan aflame that gift that he's given. Now, how do we do this practically? Well, we're going to fan aflame our gift as gospel ministers by being fueled by the word. We just talked about how it's a treasure to us. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts. Notice what letting the word of Christ richly dwell results in. It results in a renewed word ministry to one another. 
it results in teaching and admonishing one another. So you want to fan a flame the gift? Let the word dwell within you, richly dwell. Let it have a home in you. Does, is the word at home in your heart or is it a stranger? Oh, let it dwell. Fan a flame your gift as you depend on God through prayer. You know, Spurgeon said the secret to his success in preaching wasn't his great oratory, but he said it was there's people in the basement who prayed before and during his preaching. It was prayer that fanned a flame the gift. You want to fan a flame the gift? Pray. Pray for yourself. Pray for one another. You want to fan a flame the gift as gospel ministers? Well, surround yourselves with those who are going to do the same. Isn't it true that you gain courage to live for Christ when you're surrounded by people that do the same? Just as bad company corrupts good morals, but also iron sharpens iron just as one man sharpens another. So get around other believers that are like this. Get around other believers that are aflame for their gift for God, who are on fire for the glory of Christ, who seek to obey him with their life. Get around these kinds of believers. Think about those ways that you can fan aflame the gift of God that's been given to you. How might you rekindle that affectionate service to Christ? Find out those practical ways. Start doing them. You know, there is a, a dear brother that I got to serve with, and uh, he's an introverted kind of person. Uh, he was a musician, uh, kind of quirky. Whenever he talked to you, he kind of talked with a monotone voice, and, you know, not very comfortable in conversation. And I got to serve with him. We were on college ministry staff together. And I, as I saw him grow, I wanted to employ him and to exercise his gifts. And so for the first time, I gave him a chance. I said, hey, I'm going to give you a chance to just uh, share the word to the college students. And I saw that introverted, quiet, monotone speaking, shy person take up the word of God. And I don't know what happened, but something clicked in him. Something clicked where this passion came out of him this passion for christ in his word and we started to have conversations and he couldn't stop talking about how great christ was this guy that barely said two words to me this musician that was only into his electric guitar started to he couldn't stop speaking about christ and you know what happened is he got into leadership training with uh, that they put on the church he got so fired up, he started going to seminary. And this day, he's one of my best friends, and he's a pastor in San Jose. He was an introverted, quiet, weird, quirky Christian. <laughs> and now he's proclaiming the glories of Christ to a congregation as we speak. He was one who fanned aflame the gift. You see that? He didn't waste it. He was set on fire by Christ, and he said, I'm going to keep it burning. I would have never thought he would become that. No one looking at him would have ever thought he would be that. But Christ allowed him to fan a flame. There might be some pastors here, some potential pastors, and you might be weird, quiet, and quirky. Fan a flame, the gift, Christian. Fan a flame, the gift. 
what great things God might do through us if we just let him, if we're just willing. Amen? So you treasure the word by rekindling the gift of God, and you also treasure the word by retaining its standard. By retaining its standard. Look at verse 13. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Retain the standard means to hold the example of, to, uh, to this example, this model of behavior defined by those words. It's as if we ought to think of a person who personally embodies the very truths of Scripture perfectly and then follow after their conduct. What a thought. Do we know someone like that? The Lord Jesus Christ, right? He embodies the word perfectly. He is the eternal logos. So when it says retain the standard of sound words, it's basically live Christ-like. Live like Jesus. It means to commit to living, following the model of Christ, fully holy and obedient to God and his word. This is what is of first importance, living out God's word, being a doer of the word, not just being a hearer, not just being a knower. Now think of what it means to retain the standard of the word. Think of all the various categories that the word touches. And we're to retain the standard. Wow. What are some of the things that the word says to us? A lot of things, right? Here's just some examples from Ephesians, right? God's word speaks of our conduct and our character. Therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. We're to retain the standard in our conduct. Are we like that? Can we describe ourselves as having all humility and gentleness? The word speaks to our relationships with others. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that's good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do nothing from selfish or empty deceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Retain the sound word. How am I doing? How am I doing at my relationship with others? Is my speech full of grace? What about family? How am I doing in family and what the word says about it? Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Retain the sound words. How am I doing in my family at retaining those words? Over and over there are commands, and we're called, if we treasure the word, we will retain the standard of them. I hope you're seeing that that's no small task. Retaining the sound words of scripture is of utmost importance. Think of those areas that you're struggling to obey God and challenge yourself to treasure the word by retaining the standard of them. You know, imagine that I'm sitting in my living room with my wife and she politely asked me to take out the trash. And I sweetly reply, of course I will, honey. I love you. 
Now an hour passes, and my wife sees that I, ha- I haven't moved off the couch. And so she says again, uh, will you please take out the trash? And I answer again, of course I will, honey. I love you. Another hour passes, and my wife sees I have not yet taken out the trash. And she says with a firmer voice, you need to take out the trash. And I say, of course I will, honey. I love you. Now, at some point, my words of I love you are going to lay flat, aren't they? At some point, she is not going to believe those words. Why? Because there are no actions behind it. There's nothing to support that I love her because I'm not even listening to her. See, there's some point where those words become meaningless. And in the same way, we can be like that with Jesus. If we claim to love Jesus, yet if we continually fail to retain the sound words given to us, then can we truly say that we love him? At some point, those words become meaningless. Jesus said it this way, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Retain the sound words if you treasure me and treasure my word. This is convicting, isn't it? Now, if you're thinking like me, you might be discouraged at how you don't live at God's standard and retaining the sound words. You might be asking yourself, well, how can I possibly retain that standard of sound words? And here the verse gives the answer. It says, in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. I told you that in each one of these commands, God grants grace to do them. And here's the grace. Here is how we see God gives grace in the command. We couldn't retain the standard in our flesh. But when we're united in faith to Christ, and since the love of Christ has been poured out onto us, we can progressively look more and more like this. By God's grace, we're surely going to grow at retaining the sound word. He doesn't leave us helpless. He connects us to his power by faith in him. There is ample grace through faith in Christ to make us ones who will retain the standard. So there is hope. Do this, Christian. Retain the standard. If you treasure his word and treasure Christ, then retain the standard of sound words. Thirdly, you're going to treasure the word by guarding it. You're going to treasure the word by guarding it. Verse 14, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. He's telling you to keep it, to safeguard it, to protect it to that which has been entrusted. And right there, he means the good deposit. Protect this good deposit that God has given. You see, in this passage, there's two deposits which both are being guarded. There are two deposits. Look back at verse 12. We see the first deposit. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Same words, that word guard and the word entrust. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying he's entrusting himself and his eternal future to God for safekeeping until the last day. What a wonderful thing. God welcomes and says, yes, Paul, 
as you entrust yourself to me, as you entrust your eternal future to me, I promise to safeguard it until the last day. Now there's a second deposit here in verse 14 that we read. It says, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in you the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Same words. God has committed to guard the life and future Paul has entrusted to him, but now it's as if he returns the favor. Paul says God has entrusted him and young Timothy something to guard as well. The treasure of the gospel. The second deposit is the precious gospel into the hands of Paul and Timothy. The idea is that Paul is saying, God has so committed to secure you, Timothy, so you're commanded to do the same in your ministry to God's word. You may trust God to keep your life and eternity guarded and secured as he has secured mine. But now God is also solemnly entrusting you with his precious word to keep and guard. Take as much care over the gospel as God takes care over your life and eternity. What solemn, what a solemn responsibility. What a weight of responsibility. The amazing thing is that the responsibility there is not just reserved for full-time pastors or full-time preachers or the apostles. The guarding of the gospel is the responsibility of the whole church and every individual in it. In the first letter to Timothy, Paul describes the church as the church of the living God, the pillar and support of truth. You and I are all called to be guarders, guardians of the gospel, to protect it. I heard some babies crying. Those that are new parents, you feel that responsibility, especially when it's your first one, right? you have no idea what you're getting into and all of a sudden they place this little life in your hands and they say, okay, you could go home. And you're thinking, man, I have to get a driver's license to drive. I need to get a certificate to, to practice anything, but they just give me this kid and I can go home. <laughs> and you just feel so inadequate. You feel the weight of this little soul leaning on yours and you feel the weight of that responsibility. Now multiply that many times, and this is what we should feel with this. God, in his kindness, grace, and wisdom says, here, church, is my precious gospel. Guard her. Guard it. Guard it. Protect it. Make sure it continues. Pass it on. Wow. Wow. What a responsibility. Now, who are we called to guard the gospel from? Well, the first thing we regard it from is from ourselves. It's from our violating it, right? That's why he said in the previous verse, retain the sound standard of sound words. You protect the gospel from you. Protect the word from you from violating it, for you dragging it in the mud by your unholy living. Don't do it. Protect the word but also protect from any that would try to distort it or to violate it. Now, how do we do this practically? 
You know what I think is that sometimes in our social media age, we think the way we do this is to immediately go into frivolous arguments and snarky statements on Facebook and Twitter. That's where the war wages theologically. Oh, saints, don't get caught up in that. Don't get caught up. That's not the way to guard the gospel, to guard the word. Paul's even going to talk about later refusing foolish and ignorant speculations. There has to be more depth than comments on a, on a comment field. How do you guard from those that distort and violate the word? Live it out, Christian, with conviction. Think of Daniel 1, where they were called to eat the emperor's food. And what they do, they stood. They said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to keep the ways of my God. I'm not going to defile myself. I'm going to keep to the convictions given to me by my God. In chapter 3, they're called to bow down to the idol. What do they sue? No, I'm not. I'm not going to bow to the idol. That, that is guarding and protecting. Standing with conviction. Standing with conviction in this world. You know, we live in a world that's constantly tempting us to violate the command of God. They're calling us to define terms based on the world's definitions rather than God's definitions. The world is constantly calling evil good and good evil, and we must be willing to faithfully and wisely take a stand with conviction. Amen? And again, this seems very intimidating. How are we ever going to be faithfully guard the gospel deposit? Well, this verse answers it for us. Through the Holy Spirit, who dwells in us. And here's the grace provided. God gives us the grace we need. We're not on our own in our task to guard. God has graciously given us our great helper, the Holy Spirit, through whom we'll be able to successfully guard the treasure of the word as we live a life led by the Holy Spirit. He's going to give us the power to guard the word. So saint, treasure the word by rekindling the gift of God, by retaining his standard, by guarding it, and lastly, by willing, be willing to suffer for it. Treasure the word by be willing to suffer for it. Look at verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner, but join me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. That's the word Suffer together with me, Timothy, is what Paul is saying. Scan down to verse 11. For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Paul is saying, Timothy, I have suffered, and you must be willing to suffer for the treasure of the gospel. Now think of Paul's suffering that he endured for the sake of the gospel. You could think of a number of letters of the depth of how Paul suffered. Later in this letter, he mentioned how former brothers betrayed him, how strong enemies did much harm to him, how no one was there to help him in his time of need. And you know, when I was reading this, I noticed this verse in chapter 4, verse 16. He says, At my first defense... No one supported me, but all deserted me. 
may it not be counted against them. You know what that means? This is Paul in the, court, the Roman court, right? And he's making his defense. They're, they're, they they want to put him to death for what he's been doing with the gospel. And he's making his defense, and he looks left and he looks right. And who's with him? Paul says, no one. Wait a minute. Isn't this the Paul that planted church after church? Isn't this the Paul that had brothers with him everywhere he went? Isn't he the one that made friends and ministered with weeping and tears in home day after day and night after night? Isn't this the place where the Ephesian elders wept on his neck? Yet when Paul is making his defense against the Roman court, he looks and who's with him? No one. No one. Now think of all the ministry that Paul had done. What might he be thinking? Was this even worth it? Was it worth it? I've been doing all this, Lord, and no one's even with me. I'm alone. No one's standing with me. But does he give up? Does he say this suffering just wasn't worth it? In that text, he says, may it not be counted against them. No problem. He'll go on to say it's because the Lord stood with him. The suffering was worth it. The treasure of the gospel and the treasure of Christ was worth it. God stood with me. And to think, Christian, you are, you are also in this lineage. God, if you will live for the gospel, if you will live as a follower of Jesus, you will suffer. And that's very intimidating. It's an intimidating command for us to retain the standard of sound word, to guard the gospel, and now to suffer for it. But how can we possibly be willing and ready to suffer? And again, here's the grace of God for the command. In verse 8, he says, Join me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. There is power to help you to suffer. God will provide exactly what you need. The assumption here is that whatever suffering may come, Timothy's, um, because of Timothy's gospel ministry, God is going to provide enough power to endure and overcome. And he will cause you to stand and overcome as you endure suffering. And God also promises his protection. Because in verse 12, he says, Why am I willing to suffer and not be ashamed? For I know who I have believed. I'm convinced he's able to guard what I've entrusted into him that day. There is protection. You know, it may seem like the world is upending and the chaos is happening in the times of these suffering. But he says, I know this promise. No matter what the circumstance is, God has me in his hand and he's promised to guard it until the last day. So I'm not worried. That is promised protection through suffering. And so he will do with you. God's grace is in his power and his protection for you. You will meet that last day. If you commit your life to following Jesus, you are going to suffer, but here's the hope. There is power and protection until your task is complete. You know, there's this hymn 
popular hymn that I think all of us have sung, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. The story of that hymn comes out of the Indian province of Assam, which tells of the first converts in one of the villages. A Welsh missionary in India provided the account, which tells about a husband and a wife who were severely persecuted for their newfound faith. The report said that when asked to recant or to see his children murdered, the Indian man said, I have decided to follow Jesus and there is no turning back. After seeing his children killed, he reportedly said, the world can be behind me, but the cross is still before me. And after seeing his wife pierced with arrows, he said, though no one is here to go with me, Still, I will follow Jesus. According to this missionary, when he returned to the village, a revival had broken out, and those that had murdered these first converts had since come to faith themselves. The Welshman passed along these reports to the famous Indian evangelist Sandhu Sandar Singh, and he would later pen this into a famous hymn, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. Dear saint, do you treasure the word? Do you treasure the Lord Jesus Christ? Then you are called to suffer, and you will. And it may not be like this. It may not be in the same extent that Paul and Timothy did. But you will suffer. Are you willing to do so? Are you willing? May you, like Paul and that missionary, or that Indian convert, will you say, it is worth it. Christ is worthy of the suffering. I am willing because this word is a treasure and because Christ is a treasure. So dear saint, treasure the word. It's the God-breathed word that's more valuable than gold. Treasure the word because it accomplishes what nothing else can. Saving faith and it reveals Christ. And treasure the word by rekindling your gift, retaining its standard, guarding it, and being willing to suffer for it. May the Lord strengthen us to do this. Let's pray.